Hello and welcome to episode 14 of Inquisitive on Relay FM. This week's episode of Inquisitive is brought to you by lynda.com, where you can instantly stream thousands of courses created by industry experts. For a 10-day free trial, visit lynda.com slash inquisitive. Also by Harry's, an exceptional shave at a fraction of the price, and Campaign Monitor, helping you send beautiful emails and get better results. My name is Mike Hurley and I have the pleasure today of being joined by Dan Gray of Us Two Games. Hi Dan. Oh hi man, how's it going? Very good sir, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah no problem, it's nice to uh, it's nice to get a little bit of headspace to be honest, it starts to get a little crazy just after development and after doing basically not leaving the same building for the last seven months so yeah thanks for giving me a little bit of space <laughs> well unfortunately we are going to be talking about that game dan i will ask you a question i ask everyone uh on the show uh, what do you like to be known for I was just about to answer how I always answer these kind of questions where I was about to say we want we want to be known for gaming experiences that change the shape of the industry basically but then I realized that you may be asking me as a person and I not am. the team <laughs> it's you uh, what do I want to be known for um I want to be known for leading said projects that manage to change the psyche of players and people who don't know their players yet so you work at us two games who um everyone will know at the moment for monument valley um how did you get into the world of making video games well it's uh it's kind of a long story at this point i think i have been working in video games for the last seven or eight years um it's only recently dawned on me that i'm no longer a newbie uh, actually been around for a little while now. I started out at university. I went to Leeds Metropolitan University um, ages ago now and did computer entertainment technology, uh, which I don't think that degree actually exists anymore. I think it transitioned into more of a game design degree. But at the time, it was it covered everything from 3D modeling and animation to uh, creative writing and, and sort of project management. Basically, it was great for getting a job in QA, which I did to begin with. Uh, and then obviously that kind of well-rounded skill set then transitioned into uh, production. So I, I finished university and I was struggling to get a job like most people. You know, you hear about the games industry and you hear about how, you know, only the top 0.5% of people will ever actually manage to get a job working in games. Um, fortunately enough, I was one of those people. And I think it was mainly down to determination. I, I left university, I went home, worked on some portfolio work. Um, at that moment in time, didn't know what area of games I actually wanted to uh, proceed with. And I stumbled upon, I mean, I'm, I'm, from, I'm from Manchester, so there's not that many game studios around there. There's some more now due to mobile, but back then there, there was hardly, hardly anything. Um, and I was trawling my usual forums for my games and came across a post on the Lionhead forums, um, which was about work experience at the time. Um, and I rang the guys up and I said, hey, you know, I'm just calling you guys about work experience. What's the deal with this? When can we, you know, can I put my name down? They're like, yeah, but there's a five-month waiting list. I was like, wow, okay. And it, it turned out that one person for a full week, every week, uh, worked with the QA team and got to know the games industry a little bit about. So I put my name down. <clears throat> and not just doing that, I rang back every single Friday afternoon. <laughs> 
for something like eight weeks, nonstop. You were that said, kid. Has anyone cancelled? Has anyone cancelled for next week? Uh, and eventually, that uh, persistence paid off. And someone said, yeah, you need to come down from Manchester, down to Guildford in Surrey, uh, and spend next week with us. So fortunately, I knew people in the area and managed to go down and do that. Um, and then after managing to secure a job in QA from that work experience, um, I worked across Fable 2 and Fable 3 and Milo and Kate and the beginnings of, of Connect um, before eventually transitioning to Hello Games, which made their Joe Danger series for uh, Xbox and PlayStation. Um, I had a great time there. It was a good contrast to working in quite a big corporation. You know, having 200 people make a game, it's very different to being employee number six uh, and having eight people make a game. So we spent some time there, um, got used to the whole indie scene, console development, and kind of wanted to branch out a little bit past there. You know, there's a lot of really great personalities in that team who, who helped set up that company. Um, and I needed my own space to do so. So that's when um, I came across us two and I came in for some conversations. It was like, so what we're going to do is we're going to redefine what our games team is. You know, we're predominantly a design UI UX studio. We really want to put a good emphasis on games and we want you to be a big part of that. Came here, helped set up this team um, with, with the help of the people who with the established team that was already here. And the first game that came out of that was Monument Valley. That's the story of me until now. So you are uh, a producer, right? Is that, is that your title or us too? Yeah, I mean, my, my actual official title is exec producer because it makes talking to hardware p- partners and more corporate people a little bit easier. Huh. Um, just so they don't send you emails and go, no, who, can, we, can you send this to someone to get sign off on whatever right. is going to happen? We, we, you know, I control everything external to the actual game when it comes to our team, yeah. So that's my official job title. But as usual, when it comes to small team sizes, there's actually a lot of crossover um, amongst a lot of things. So what is, like, for you, what does being a, a producer of a video game, what are your responsibilities, like, for, for, for being the producer of Monument Valley? What, what does your day look like? What are you responsible for? I mean, the way I always try and explain it, because obviously the, the role of producer changes drastically from industry to industry. You know, it's quite different to what, say, a movie producer would do. Uh, and even to what people would say a producer is in, say, the Japanese game industry, which is much more of a game director than it is, you know, um, a sort of more on the project manager kind of boring side of things. But um, I guess for me, I like to consider myself as a multiplier for whatever it is that we have. You know, like I'm here to ma- whatever we make as a team, as a game, I'm there to ensure that we maximize whatever that is, whether that's making the game slightly better, whether that's making sure we've got the marketing and the exposure in place, the good relationships with Apple and Google and whoever it might be. You're basically covering all the bases to ensure that this thing that you've just given birth to has all the chances in the world at being a success. So my day, um, um, my day mainly consists of um, getting here in the morning, uh, usually it's kind of variable. We have a, um, a bit of a flexi time, time type thing going on. I think I usually get here about 9.30, 9.40 in the morning, sit there with my coffee, read my emails like usual, get to grips with everything, actually spend some time waking up. Um, and then we get the guys together and we, we just have a quick stand up. We talk in a couple of sentences, what we did yesterday, what we're going to do today. Uh, 
and then to sit down and get to it really. And then I really couldn't give you an average day because it changes that often. And that's why I do the job I do is because my attention span is so small that I can't, nobody could sit me down for an entire day and say, great, what we need is we need to model this character today. Can you sit here for eight hours and model this character? I, I would probably get about one hour's worth of work done. Um, so yeah, I guess it's kind of perfectly seated and it changes on a day-by-day basis. So you've been nominated for a BAFTA. Well, what actually happened was, um, so it's, it always gets a little bit confusing this. So every single year, um, BAFTA take a number of uh, people in the movie industry, a number of people in the television industry, and a number of people in the games industry. Uh, and these are all people who they feel have had a breakout year. They've released uh, a piece of media that they feel made a difference this year and that they, they are one to watch for the future, essentially. Um, and that's what they do. That's what they, they deem the breakthrough Brits and they give like the class of 2013. Oh. So what happened this year was I was fortunate enough to be named part of the class of 2014, uh, Breakthrough Brit. So it's not just nomination. It actually won the award this year, which is really good. Oh, congratulations. Uh, thanks, man. It's, so it's a little bit, the name is a little bit confusing because everyone thinks that um, it's part of the actual you know, main game BAFTAs, uh, which is obviously in February. Um, so even though the awards from the same people and it's got quite a lot of prestige attached to it, it's not actually given out at the award ceremony itself. Uh, and obviously there's multiple winners within games for that. But yeah, altogether really good. Those guys are awesome. They, the idea is that for the next 12 months now, they, gave, they give us all the mentorship that we, we require um, in order to be successful and hopefully win a fully-fledged BAFTA at the ceremonies when they happen next year. So it's really good. They give you full full use of the facilities of BAFTA HQ. They they open up their address book to you. I can be in a position where I'm like, we really need uh, a music composer for our next game. And they'll give me a list of the top 10 musical composers in the UK and do introductions. So yeah, I'm really, really excited about how that's going to play out. Just like It's like the perfect networking tool. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Like I spoke to a couple of the winners from last year and um, it's, it's really, really worked out. I mean, to the point where they ask you for uh, a few names of people who you feel inspire you or will take your career to the next level. And they try their utmost to get those meetings happening, no matter where in the world they are. It's like the key to the city or something. Yeah, it's like, it's like <laughs> playing with key codes. It's, it's like codes <laughs> to the games industry. Usually these kind of connections you would have to work up over a number of years. Um, so it's really good. Those guys... I'm, I'm just glad that like, they really appreciate games. Like they, they put us next to all the movie stars and, you know, all these people on television, you see the games, people were so nervous and felt out of place at this ceremony because there's people you recognize from like movies and stuff. Um, and they care so much about the games industry that they put us on that stage as well. That must feel good, like being in games to, to, to feel that way, that you're cared about to that level, I guess. Like we are. It's crazy to think that, like, as an industry, we've, we've arrived. We've arrived at the top table of, of uh, media, at least in this country, um, especially having someone like BAFTA behind us. It gives uh, legitimacy to what we do. 
Let me just take a quick break here, Dan, to talk about our first sponsor for this week's episode, but I've got a bunch more that I want to talk to you about. This episode of Inquisitive is brought to you by lynda.com, an easy and affordable way to help individuals and organizations learn. With lynda.com, you get access to their growing library of hundreds of thousands of high-quality, well-produced, expertly produced video tutorials that can help you learn something new. lynda.com is all about helping you turn your ideas into hobbies and your hobbies into businesses if that's the kind of thing that you want to do. They can help you learn something you've always wanted to try or they can help you perfect something that you already know. Linda works directly with people who are total experts in their field. Sometimes they work with creators of specific software or hardware products or you know they make sure that they've got the very best person available to help you learn. Like for example they have a GTD course taught by David Allen. Linda's courses are broken down into bite-sized chunks, allowing you to jump in and out at your own pace. Linda make it easy, as easy as possible, to help you build a course structure that's tailored to you. You can create your own playlists of videos so you can plan what you want to watch when you want to watch it. They also have transcripts that appear with their videos. This can help you whilst you're watching the video to follow along with what's being said, but they also have ser- they're also searchable, allowing you to go in later and find exactly what you're looking for to refresh yourself on a video you've watched. You just need to remember a phrase or keyword and you can jump right back to that point. You can get unlimited access to Linda's courses for just $25 a month. That's access to everything, including courses on web design. They have courses on HTML, CSS, Drupal, jQuery, Node.js. You name it, they've got it. They can also help you make sites responsive on the web. Uh, They have courses on photography. There's some really interesting stuff. So they have all the major photography apps like Lightroom, Aperture, Photoshop, but they can also help you out with practical things like lighting and how to snap the perfect portrait. And of course, you can watch these videos on the web, but also in Linda's iPhone, iPad, and Android apps. If for some crazy reason you haven't yet tried out lynda.com, now is the time to do it as we have a special extended 10-day free trial for listeners of Inquisitive. Go to lynda.com, that's L-Y-N-D, com slash inquisitive and sign up right now. Thank you so much to Linda for their support of this show and Relay FM. So I want to talk about Monument Valley, um, which is you know something that I'm sure that you're quite used to talking about now, maybe over the last year or so. When did the original game launch and when did you start development on it? It launched April 3rd of this year, it's 2014. Um, and it's really hard to say an exact start date to development. I mean, you know, I mentioned earlier that I, I arrived here in February, mid-February 2013, so not even that long ago. And we went into prototyping for a number of months, probably three months or so, where we just came up with ideas. We supported our pre-existing games, and we just came up with new ideas. Sometimes these were in the form of mechanics. Sometimes these ideas were in the forms of pieces of art, concept art that we would put on a wall. And we'd just discuss these. We'd set up a meeting every single Friday and we would review what we had so far and see if anything sort of resonated with the team. Um, we continued with that process until uh, Ken, who's our lead designer, you, you've spoken to previously, he did a bit of concept art in Photoshop that um, we didn't even know what it was going to be like as a game yet. You know, we put it on a wall and just let it, just let it brew there, let people come over, clients from, you know, the rest of the company rest of the company employees, our family friends would come in and see this. And we'd ask them what they thought, again, 
that looked like that would act like. Um, and in the end, we just said, you know, we've got to make this. People care so much about this just image that's on a wall that we have to make it. So we went underway, did a week's worth of prototyping. Um, where we, you know, paired a developer and, and an artist together to knock something out. Reviewed that as a team at the end of the week. That's when the impossibility really sort of got in there. We played with the ideas of how we could trick the eyes in screen space. Uh, it was implied in the, in the original artwork, but it wasn't actually present. So it was good to investigate that. Um, and then after getting some sort of core mechanics down, we sat down for a further two weeks after that, where we started thinking more about how it would work as an actual game. You know, how long would it be? What else would you do apart from these core interactions? What would the art style be like? That kind of thing. And then at the end of those two weeks, we actually presented that to the rest of the company, which is a really good resource to have. You know, get the feedback of these guys. A lot of the people in the rest of the company don't necessarily play games. You know, they have an eye for visuals, obviously, in the industry that they're in. And that really helped define what this game is. And it's a reason why it's a game for non-gamers is because of those initial conversations. Really, really helped out. So we finished this process. We were supposed to get full, we were supposed to do a full green light meeting and sign off for the funds. And I was supposed to put a budget forwards and everything else. And I think everyone just got too excited and so entrenched in the idea that we never actually did that. We just carried on until it released. But even having that discussion at the time was just a really interesting one. Because if you think about these variables, right, in this common, this everyday way of making mobile games now, these are the things that I have to sit in front of people and say at the time. It is, uh, at the time, it was going to be iPad only as well. So it's an iPad only game. It has no in-app purchases. It has no leaderboards, has no achievements. It has no social integration to push to encourage your friends. It, it doesn't pander to any, any hardware features that year that any manufacturer seems to be pushing. Um, and it also takes about 90 minutes to complete, and it has hardly any replayability. If you sit in a meeting and say those things, if we were supported by anyone else apart from our owners, they would have told us that we were crazy and to get out of the room and stop wasting their time. Like there may be an element like if you were if you were a team that set up on your own, you probably wouldn't have made this game anyway. For for those same reasons, right? If it yeah. was if it was like all of your life savings and all of Ken's life savings and it may have not been something you decided to do. It's hard to say. Like I mean it's, for us, we can only make the games that really resonate with us. But on the flip side, the Knowing that we had the financial security of a bigger company behind us at the time really allowed us to take more risks, like take that to the maximum. So, yeah, that, that, is, that is pretty true. We, we know that we didn't have to worry about anything else apart from making the most beautiful experience that we could do. Um, and I think that shows in the game. You know, it shows when we don't tick all those boxes that I just mentioned. Um, and it shows the faith that our, our games team's owners had in the quality of this team. And sometimes, you know, people knock us for being part of a design agency or as people get it confused online, an ad agency. And I think that's a little bit harsh because there's very, very few companies in this world who have, would have plowed half a million pounds into making a game that checked none of the boxes I just mentioned. <laughs> 
that faith is is insane and you know luckily we've managed to repay it it's, it's interesting you mentioned about the press aspect um and like the way that people jumped on it because the Monument Valley received an incredible amount of press reaction when the game launched. And it went on for a while, you know, people trying to do like stories about you guys and digging in and stuff like that. Did you expect the amount of press that the game got and for it to be as far reaching as it ended up being? Some of it uh, is premeditated. Some of it is worked at and some of it, yes, is surprise. So... The, the premeditated stuff is that we designed this game so that you could take a screenshot anywhere in the game and it would be good enough to, to print out and hang on a wall, right? Th- that was a decision of how that game was going to be. And we wanted it to be that because we knew people were going to love it. We knew it was going to look great in screenshots. Where's your average Joe going to see examples of your game? It's going to be screenshots on, you know, on iTunes. It's going to be previews on websites before the game comes out. We need it to look as spectacular as possible in stills. Um, so that was a premeditated decision that we knew would get people talking. We were in a position really early in development where people didn't believe that the levels that we were taking screenshots of were levels. They thought they were concept art. Um, so that, that was a decision on our part that I think really contributed towards our exposure. Um, when I say that we worked at things as well, I mean more in terms of things like our social presence. You know, we worked a lot at that kind of thing. I think we sat in March of last year, we sat at about 500 Twitter followers or so through constant day-to-day communication with the people who were interested in us. I think probably tonight we hit like 40,000 followers in, you know, a year and a half, which is pretty crazy to be honest. Um, And that's because we treat people like humans and we speak to people like we are human, which I think is distinctly lacking in uh, a lot of companies and, you know, some game developers. We don't mind being honest with people. We don't mind talking about sales data. We don't mind telling someone we think they're wrong if they're going to give us grief online. Like we act like a person. And I think people really like that. Like they like to follow us. They like to know what we're doing. And one thing we've always said is we're not afraid to show off our ugly baby. <laughs> that sounds really funny. But what, what we mean by that is that we showed this game at a very early point in development to press, um, to other people in the company, uh, to get their feedback, to gauge it. And not only that, but to make sure they felt part of this journey we were about to go on. Um, if you think about Apple in particular, we showed them at a time that most people probably wouldn't have shown them. Um, a lot of it didn't work. It was a really, really bad demo. But from then, the communication was, we remember these guys. We saw what it would look like last time. We can see where these guys are going. You know, these guys are hard workers. These guys have got a really good eye for uh, design. So allowing people that entry early on really served as well further down the line. People felt like it was theirs. You know, people on Twitter and everything else. They genuinely felt like it was their game to a certain extent when it came out, and as you said, some of it, some of it was unsu- like really surprising. A um, couple of uh, things that have happened post-release, um, we really didn't know if we'd say the Apple Design Award happened this year as well. Yeah, we really didn't know if that was going to happen. But even on the day, like people assume that you know before you come, and you really don't. Like we turned, we turned up on the day. We just had communication from Apple that said, 
so guys, you may want to be in San Francisco on these days. And we're like, oh, right, cool. Can you explain anything else? Well, you know, WWDC is on. And we're like, okay, can you give us some more information? Because <laughs> we're in development at the moment. Um, and like, nope, nope, we can't. We can say that, you know, you're in with a chance. There may be a possibility that you may win an Apple Design Award. And we're like, oh, God, right, I guess we've got to go then. Right, we're going to go. So we went. And the actual night happened. And I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head. I think four games won an, won an Apple Design Award last year. Um, and this year, there were some obvious games that were going to win something. So we knew Threes was going to win something. We knew Device 6 was going to win something. Um, so they did the running order. I think there was like 15 in total or something. We were sat in the audience pretty near the front. And they ran through the games. And one by one, the games came out. And then four games came. Four games came out. And still wasn't us. And we were sat like head in hands at that point. We were so devastated that we thought we were going to have to sit there and applaud other people's games and apps for like another hour or so. Um, and then it got to the last one. And they started talking. And the, and the way they were talking about it was so ambiguous. It didn't even sound like a game. It sounded like an app, uh, like some kind of like productivity app. It was like sometimes you use something on your device uh, that makes you appreciate life a little bit more, like something that was nothing to do with what our game was. <laughs> we, we got trolled so hard that day. They eventually said Monument Valley. And then like four people random british guys in the audience jumped up scared everyone else around them um and then ran up on stage um and people said to us afterwards like you were the only guys who got up who looked surprised and looked really happy to be there um and it, it was a it was a special day but yeah that was certainly unexpected but a highlight of this year so since the game has come out what has your day-to-day -day been like? How have your responsibilities changed? Like, obviously, you're doing a lot more of this kind of stuff, right? And I know that you've speak, spoken at conferences. I've seen you uh, speak at all and things like that. Is that a welcome change to your job, these kind of things happening? Yeah. I mean, like, changes specific to post-release, I would say we spent a month doing pretty much nothing as a team. I think because we were still in so, such sort of shock and awe, about how well the game was doing. Most of us spent a month just with our head in Twitter and on Facebook and reading articles. And we were so burnt out by that point that we were fine with just taking it easy. Um, my job role specifically, I wouldn't say that my willingness to do things like this has changed. I would just say that the opportunity to do this kind of thing has changed because we're kind of, we're kind of much more well-known now than we were 12 months ago. Um, and I, I enjoy doing it. I can, you could, you could, we could spend an hour here without you asking me any questions and I would probably just continue to talk forever until you run out of disk space. <laughs> it's, just, it's just what I end up doing. Um, I did, I did a talk today at Google, uh, in London, one of the, some of the UX guys at Google and, um, cause we've been so busy. I didn't, I didn't have time to write a presentation. Um, so I went down with 10 slides, just of images of Monument Valley and the new levels, like one image on each one, just with one word in the center. 
and then just freestyled over the rest of the words that were there. And they all thought it was planned. But And they said afterwards, they were like, you know, it's, have you done that talk a lot before? And I was like, no, no, no. They're like, well, it just seems so natural. And I said, well, when 95% of your waking life is consumed by one thing, if you can't talk about that, then you've got no hope. You can't talk about anything. Like it's consumed all of us since that, since that time. And we've had a really difficult kind of second album syndrome. You know, we've got to release more levels for Monument Valley when people really love the first ones. How do we give them something else yet still surprise them? So yeah, the, the pressure's been on and that's why it's taken us so long to get everything out. But, you know, my role's kind of the same as it always was. I'm, I'm there with the guys in the trenches, um, making sure everything runs smoothly, coming and doing things like this, um, making sure I'm the link between our team and the guys who give us money upstairs, although they don't have to give us money any, anymore because the game's successful. So we, uh, I think right now, we not necessarily just right now, but where we plateaued, we just about uh, pay for the team on a daily basis, which is really good. So not only did we manage to be, have you know spikes in sales at release and spikes in sales now because of the expansion, um, but just passively, we make enough money on a day-to-day basis to pay for us on a day-to-day basis. And that's really relaxing because not because we want to make money. I mean, you know, everyone does like to make money, but it's because it enables us to take risks. You know, that's why we got, that's why we started this game team in the first place, take risks. Because uh, it's something that we thought not enough people were doing. So yeah, that's the main benefit of doing that. That's so awesome to hear because now like, I know that I know what you you know I know what you guys are like I know what your vision is I mean and anyone can hear it is that you kind of want to continue to build interesting and exciting things and now you have Monument Valley as like the support for that for the time being like which which I think is really exciting and interesting that you have your kind of like you guys are self-sufficient now because of this hit game that you can continue to push and and create new interesting things Yeah I mean like one thing I'm really happy about is, yeah, I'm happy that Monument Valley gets good reviews and all that kind of thing. What I'm really, really happy about is the fact that players out there saw a game that went for quality over quantity, you know, got rid of all these things that people are used to having in mobile games now, and they voted with their wallets on saying, we don't just want, you know, shovelware titles on google play we don't just want to be confronted with paywalls at every opportunity we want to pay for something that that has so much passion and love put into it and knowing that the mobile space really wants that really restored my faith in the marketplace because you know that's if you're a hardcore pc gamer you i remember what, like when i left when i left to come and join us two originally um, obviously, it, was, um, it wasn't the first time I was making mobile games. I helped make Joe Danger iOS when I was at Hello Games, but moving to a mobile-only studio. Um, I had a couple of friends of mine who were you know, big PC gamer enthusiasts, and they're like, oh, Dan's going. Dan's going to a mobile studio. He's going to go make Hello Kitty online for, for Google. And then you get so much grief because that's what some people's opinion of mobile gaming is. Um, you know, now public opinion is changing and we know that it can be much more of that and there's a big proportion of people out there who are willing to support it and that's really amazing i just want to take a quick break to thank our second sponsor for this week's episode and that is our friends over at harrys.com 
Gentlemen, the month of November is upon us. This is a time in which moustaches are for everyone. Now is your time to pretend that you're a mustachio man like Magnum P.I. Our friends at harrys.com. You don't have to just pretend. You can be that mustachioed man. Our friends at harrys.com are the official razor partner of Movember and will be there for you for this entire hairy month. It's a time that requires extra attention and Harry's fantastic razors and shaving products, including their moisturizers and their foaming gels, are there for you every step of the way. Whether or not you're growing out your mo, with Harry's you can get an amazing shave and do good by helping to support Movember's quest to fund research on important men's health issues. Harry's.com was started by two guys passionate about creating a better shave for for all men. They create a razor I am happy to hold with blades that I'm comfortable and happy to use on my skin. They made this happen by buying a blade factory in Germany. That has been crafting some of the world's highest quality blades for almost a century. And by cutting out the middleman, they can offer an amazing shave at a fraction of the price of drugstore brands. Harry's starter shave set starts at just $15. This includes the razor, three blades, and your choice of a Harry's shave cream or their new foaming shave gel, which is an incredible deal. I love the gel myself. Uh, that's my personal preference, but they're both great. Um, I really like that it produces this great lather with just a little bit of the gel used. It lasts forever, it feels like. It feels great on the skin, and it smells super awesome as well. And don't forget their aftershave moisturizer. I actually couldn't recommend this product enough because you should be moisturizing if you're shaving. Come on, gents. This is for all of us now, too. You need to get in there and shave and then moisturize that face. Keep yourself looking beautiful. Why not? We all know how frustrating it can be to decide on when you buy a product, you go through all the the processes, you get to check out and find super high shipping costs. Well, that's why Harry's has free shipping on top of all this incredibleness. So go right now to harrys.com and Harry's will give you $5 off if you type in my code that is inquisitive with your first purchase. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com and enter the coupon code inquisitive at checkout for $5 off and change the way you shave forever. Thank you so much to Harry's for supporting this show and Relay FM. So I want to talk about um I want to talk about Forgotten Shores, which is the expansion, it's the the new levels for Monument Valley. So when you were creating the original game, did you expect that additional levels would be in your future? We had talked about the possibility, but it wasn't planned at that point. And, um, and I guess the success of, of the game proved that people wanted it. People most definitely wanted it. I mean, you know, I've spoken a few times about our, you know, our communication with players over Twitter. It got to the point where we were writing Twitter messages like, we just want to say a happy birthday to Manesh, 28th birthday today, best developer you could ever hope for. And then we would get 45 responses that say, when are new levels? When are new levels coming out? That's all we would get in response to anything we ever tried to say. So it comes back to that thing that people keep saying, which is, if the main criticism of your game is that people wanted more of it, then you must be doing something right. Yeah. And couple that with the fact that we had a number of ideas and a number of mechanics that we still wanted to revisit from the main game. Um, and it, it, it was a no-brainer to come back and do some more content. Um, as I said, we took some time off just after the Monument Valley release, and we came back. And it, it took us a long while to get in the swing of things, I've got to say. 
Um, we were kind of burnt out. We had to think outside the box in terms of the type of content that we were going to make. I mean, you can see, you can see just in the screenshots, Forgotten Shores takes place um, in much more environmental levels. You know, you've seen screenshots of Ida stood in front of a, a rocky waterfall or at the depths of a volcano. You never would have seen that in the original Monument Valley. Um, for our own sanity and where we wanted to take the game, that was, um, that was the direction we wanted to go in. Um, and it allows people a sense of familiarity while still giving them something new. So it took us a long time. I mean, we were talking today. There's one, there's one level in particular that's in Forgotten Shores. Um, I only remember the level names by our names. So obviously development names are different to the names that go in the game. They start off as something really rubbish. Like we've got a level that we all in the studio know as Twisters, which is we first came up with a mechanic where you can twist architecture. Right. I think that's called something like the Serpent Lake or something equally poetic in the game. I quite like Twisters. <laughs> twisters, key Twisters, straight to the point. Uh, but yeah, that's a bit of an insight into um, sort of development process. Anyway, we, uh, we had a level that we worked on called Ensided, which I think is called the Oubliette um, in the main game. And it, you know, it revolved around, I'm hoping I'm not spoiling anything. If there's anyone who hasn't played the game, wants to play the game, cover your ears because I'm going to explain a little, tiny little bit. Um, so this revolved around an N-sided cube, a cube that you could spin N number of times. Obviously, that ended up being an actual finite number of times just due to scope. But the, the puzzle, there was more than four sides. And this, I would probably say that this is, to my knowledge, the most expensive mobile game level in history. It's, it's incredible. I, I, I played it again today. I, as many people, and 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 we've spoken about this before. My my previous favorite level was the box from the yeah. the original That's game. Made ensided. Ensided is a spiritual successor to the box. And I fell in love with this level every time I, I turned it, and there was something else. And I, I'm not going to say much more than that. I was just like mouth open, just blown away. We spent so that level was supposed to be in the main release in Monument Valley. If you consider that we sunk a few months into that level before release, and we've sunk seven months into that level since release until now, that, that has had about 12 iterations. Like, and we're not even talking iterations, really. We're talking using the same tech and starting a level from scratch. That's how long it's taken to develop. Um, so, yeah, I, I seriously think it's the most expensively developed level in all of mobile game history it probably costs about 100 grand just to make that level or something it's ridiculous um but in the end it's all if you stop thinking about things in terms of money and you start thinking about things in terms of quality you end up in a position where you feel like it's you know one of the best mobile game levels you've ever played that that's where we end up at if we leave everything else behind and you only concentrate on quality but yeah that's one of my favorite levels as well uh, and from player feedback, it also seems to like the box. The box is by far everyone's favorite level in the main game. And uh, the Oubliette is everyone's favorite level in Forgotten Shores. So, yeah, it's been, um, been an interesting journey. I also think N-Sided is an example of that um, design direction that I just explained, which is take something that's already in Monument Valley 
and take it to the next level. You know, how do we evolve it? We know we're not going to rip up what we already had and we're not going to keep it the same either. We're going to keep it familiar whilst also giving you something new. How long, how much pressure did you feel creating these levels and was it more pressure than you felt when creating the original levels or were they different? Um, it's a hard question. I would say... The main game, the first main game, there was more pressure. I did, I did an interview probably about a month before we released Monument Valley. Um, and one of the statements I made in that was, we talk up so much about, you know, isn't it great that we've got a company who can um, financially back us to make what we want to make? Isn't it great that we have the freedom to make whatever game it is that we want to make? Isn't it great that we've managed to hire these really talented people as part of the team? Now, when you say those things, you realize you then have no excuse for getting things wrong. You've made your own bed at that point. That is pressure. <laughs> Knowing that it's, it's, it's not like we can say, you know, we didn't have enough development time. We got to pick our own release date. It's not like we can say we ran out of money or we didn't have the skilled staff or any of these things that we as developers say sometimes when we get something wrong. So the pressure to succeed then was massive. You know, we, the game team had had a complete overhaul at that point, and this was the first game that we were going to release. So, yeah, the pressure then was massive. Um, making the, the Forgotten Shores levels, we knew what people loved already. You know, um, it was a challenge to take it to the next level, but we knew that if we carried on down the same road, there was going to be a lot of happy people. So the big question why did you decide to go with an in-app purchase for these three levels inside of Monument Valley 1, you know, Mon the original game? Why not split it out and make Monument Valley 2 and have these eight levels as that game? It's a very good question. So, obviously, this is, this is one that's been talked about a lot in the last week, um, almost a week now. Games, the expansion's been out for six days. Um... Obviously, our main problem comes that player expectation right now is that developers update games for free. There's free updates. Now, that's fine if your game monetizes in other ways. So if I've got a free game, if I've made some kind of like free racing game, right? Playing it is free, but cars and engine parts and decals and everything else is going to cost you microtransactions to buy giving you another 10 tracks to race for free makes sense because you're going to go back and you're going to buy new cars and you're going to buy new everything else to make that work. So for you, you feel like you're getting a load of stuff for free when you're not, you're paying for it in the long run. Um, for us, because of our uh, decisions to go for, um, the phrase I usually use, use you know we, we go for engagement over distraction so we didn't want anything popping up we didn't want anything to make you go out of the game or make a purchase or distract you away from the experience that you currently found yourself in because of that the main game for monument valley was obviously had a set price and because we wanted to continue in the same vein for the expansion that obviously had to have a set price as well because otherwise spending seven months making eight new chapters is a massive, um, doesn't make any financial sense. 
all that all that goodwill and the resources that we just gained from the main game, then just get lost. We can't afford to take those risks, like I mentioned earlier, um, which is a shame, you know. But we were confident that what was on offer, the the expansion takes about as long to finish as the main game, but it's fifty percent of the price. So we thought that was um, a good proposition. A lot of people since release have been really happy with that um, proposition. Talking about um, decision for it not to be a separate game, I would say, in hindsight, it probably should have been. Right. Um, I would also say that from our perspective, you know, we're, we're, we're creative people. We don't feel comfortable putting a number two on Monument Valley unless it's a true, true evolution of the idea. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a departure. It's something very different to what we already had, you know, unless we've got something else to say. Um, Forgotten Shores is very much a 1.5. It's taken it quite far, but not far enough where we as artists and creators feel comfortable calling it a sequel. Now, in hindsight, that's a very, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to say close-minded, but that's something that's important to us, but maybe not other people. Um, so that's our reasoning for not, not making a second game. But um, we're also happy with how everything's performed and how people have played the main game. We really like it that, you know, people get to stay in the same app and, and do that whole thing. There's obviously been a lot of talk since Wednesday about this whole one-star thing. If you've, read, you've read about this whole thing. Uh, funnily enough, that actually brings me to my next question. We've kind of walked right into it nicely. <laughs> but before we do that, I want to take a quick break to thank Campaign Monitor for sponsoring this week's episode of Inquisitive. They are the people, the lovely guys and girls that make it easy to design, create, send, and optimize your email campaigns both quickly and easily. Campaign Monitor features Canvas. This is an incredibly easy-to-use builder for creating beautiful email newsletters that look great everywhere, especially on mobile devices. Thousands of Campaign Monitor customers are using Canvas to reinvent what they send, and you can create an email template that matches your brand and style for free at campaignmonitor.com templates. With Canvas, you can create an email template in just minutes. It's super easy to use. You have a drag and drop interface that takes care of all of the stuff that you want to just work. They have an automatic image resizer. They have perfect typography and an innovative space of tool to help you lay out things exactly as you want. Campaign Monitor's Canvas automatically makes sure your emails look great everywhere with the use of responsive design techniques. You can create unique emails that match your brand. These aren't cookie-cutter templates. Canvas features flexible and customizable designs, so you can make unique emails that feel right at home with your company or with your blog or your website. Campaign Monitor is so cool, they've even made it possible to build and export templates without even having to start a Campaign Monitor account by going to campaignmonitor.com templates. But you should go and sign up for a free account right now to help support these guys by going to campaignmonitor.com. Thank you so much to Campaign Monitor for helping make Inquisitive possible every single week and for supporting Relay FM. So... Because, I mean, and I think maybe this is something I will speak for you for a moment and see see if I'm right in my thinking along this. So Monument Valley 1 received uh, received criticism for being 
overpriced, right? People refer to, you know, it's known as extortionate pricing. But a lot of this feedback you receive through social channels and stuff because you wouldn't have somebody making that complaint and then buy the game, by and large. Of course, there's still going to be some people, but you kind of, the, the price was actually the barrier for those reviews. But what happens with people that have already bought the game and then see the in-app purchase they can then leave reviews because they already own the game right yeah and is that is that the as you saw it is that how the kind of the problem came around of people leaving tons yes, of one star so reviews it's, so it's a strange one because obviously there's two separate things at play here there is the four dollar monument valley main game uh, and then there's the separate thing we've worked on for seven months which is forgotten shores priced at two dollars um, now, what people had the ability to do was they loved Monument Valley, uh, even though every bit of communication that we'd said in interviews or press releases or anything stated that the new chapters were going to be paid. Obviously, that communication is not going to reach everyone. <coughs> so there's going to be a number of people who come in the game, they see there's new chapters available, they go there and find out, oh, man, these this is going to cost money, but I'm so used to getting more stuff for free. You guys should have, you know, you guys should have made this for free. Why is why is why is this not happening? Now, if people were able to comment on Forgotten Shores individually, and they said, "Well, you know, um, I'm not going to buy this because it I it seems like too much money for what I want to pay." Whatever, that's fine. But what people were doing were there was people who previously rated the game quite highly that experience that they had seven months ago, who were no, now going back to that and re-rating it a one-star because this separate thing wasn't free. And that's a little bit weird. Um, but I do want to say that that was actually a very small number of people. So the amount of press exposure that that whole scenario got was actually um, a million times bigger than what the situation was. I think last Wednesday night, it was a few hours after, the, after Forgotten Shores came out, and I'm sat in the studio like I usually do, tweet deck up on one side, and someone mentions on Twitter, they say, just been looking through the one, some of the one-star reviews for Monument Valley. Uh, it seems people are downvoting it because of, uh, because of the new content being paid. So I go on, I take a look. And at the time, it sat at around 100 five-star reviews. This is the US store. About 100 five-star reviews, 100 one-star reviews, and not that much in between. Now, what that usually says, if, if it's an issue of quality, if it's an issue of taste, usually there's a good amount of spread between those stars. You know what I mean? It's, it depends. Some person really enjoyed it. Some people just kind of enjoyed it. Now, what the one stars means is that people have rated it negatively due to a decisive action on our part. Do you know what I mean? Which, which quite obviously was the new chapters being paid. People were leaving comments saying it was because the new chapters were paid. So it was about 100 people or so. I then wrote a tweet from, um, from our account, was 2 Games account, saying it appears uh, some people are going back to uh, the Monument Valley store page and one star in the game because the content's not free. Uh, this makes us sad. Kind of a bit of a whimsical kind of comment, like same thing we always do, little, you know, little sad face on the end. Anyway, that tweet stands at over 1,500 retweets at this point. Stands at about, you know, a thousand favorites or something. Um, 
this then got sent all the way around the industry, all the way around the Twitterverse. That turned into an article on Touch Arcade, which turned into threads on Reddit, and then articles on The Guardian. John Gruber wrote on his blog about it. And this turned into not just a discussion on Monument Valley, but a discussion on value and player expectation. I mean, you read articles all the time about how the, you know, the value of things is depreciated in mobile games. You know, your, your game has either got to be a dollar or it's got to be free. And you hear all these big leading statements on you know, the main games websites. So, so this just fed into that. People were like writing blog posts saying, have we really ended up in a position where people find $2 for more of the game they already love? to be too expensive. Um, I made a joking comment on Twitter again, straight after the original one that said, that's it guys, we're giving up mobile games. Next time we're just going to sell you 500 coins for $2 instead of an ex- eight chapter expansion. <laughs> again, kind of joking. Some people took that seriously. People were sending us messages going, don't quit games, don't quit premium games. Everything all got blown out of proportion. We obviously weren't going to do that. Um, we were just having a having a bit of a laugh with everyone, um, but it, you know it's a it's a valid discussion. Um, but the onus is on on us. You know we've we've educated players to have a certain level of expectancy. You know you know we've done this, and if if that if that's what makes people successful, then that's fine. Part of people in our position need to do is create content that's so mind-meltingly beautiful that the difference between buying 500 coins for $2 and being reunited with one of your best friends underneath a blue waterfall in a land that you've wanted to revisit is, is so blaringly obvious that you've, it's obvious that which one's, which one's going to be uh, your purchase. That's what it's, that's what it's down to us today. Um, and so far the data suggests that we managed to do that. So yeah, it's been a really, been a really successful launch, but that... That whole thing was blown up a little bit more than it than it was. Would it be fair though that it's actually that ended up working in your favour that maybe you got a lot more uh, press and five star reviews and interest in the game because people kind of took in their numbers to talking positively about the game, like on social media and in their reviews. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. Yes, it did. Things did end up better, and we kind of feel a little bit guilty about it because uh, the two tweets that I just mentioned to you—they weren't pandering to or asking people to go back and re-rate things, you know—and that and that was that was never their intention. But whether it was their intention or not, that's what people did. So, about two hours after said tweet, we look at the US store. And at that time, it sits at something like 7,800 five-star reviews and 151-star reviews. So to say, to say that things did work in our favor, you know, it would be correct. Um, I, I mean, I look at that and I, don't, I, I didn't even see it at the time. Like what I saw, I think, was your intention was, I mean, I know it's either you or somebody else at the team that's sitting on that account. And it's upsetting, you know, because people are, are reacting like that. I mean, you are kind of trying to, to hard, you know, with this sort of stuff. And I appreciate you saying about how, like, you know, splitting it out into the other game may have been, in hindsight, 
a, a smart thing to do, not necessarily the right thing to do, but a smart thing to do. Yeah. So, you know, you can kind of see maybe why some people were a, a little perturbed. But to go in and, and one-star it kind of seems, you know, it's, it kind of seems a bit much because you either buy it or you don't buy it. You don't need to act any other way than that, I don't think. It doesn't mean you now enjoyed your original game experience less because there's more levels to pay for. Yeah, it obviously makes no sense. But I can only assume that the type of people who are going to go and do that are... Probably in the kind of tween market. Do you know what I mean? That kind of demographic where money means a lot to people in in that kind of demographic. You know, you get pocket money. You're going to get certain. It's not like me or you where we can just go, yeah, just buy loads of apps this month. So for them, every single dollar counts. Um, so, you know, we try and empathize with that. Maybe our messaging could have been a little bit better in terms of letting people know to expect that this is going to cost money. I think it's always important to completely rip yourself apart in terms of how things can be improved. That's, that's what we apply to the game. So why not apply it to ourselves? You know, that launch probably could have been handled a lot differently. Of course, there's always going to be people who are upset with that. Um, I think it also leads into a bigger discussion about how people conduct themselves on the internet. You know, um, the amount of exposure and, things you read on the internet now about, you know, we've got so much grief on Twitter. No, I say so much. There's obviously a very, very vocal, small, small minority. But people calling you everything in the sun over, over, the, over Twitter. Yeah. Um, people find that that's okay. That's, that's a crazier point. When did we end up in a position where, I, I don't even know if I can swear on your show, but I'm not going to. But saying those kind of things directly to someone is okay, and it's not. Uh, and, you know, I'm not going to bring up the uh, the G word in relation to this, but um, I think a lot of this kind of thing leads into each other. Um, and it's, and it's, it's kind of not cool. But I think that is to be expected in, in sort of where we are right now. But as I said, it, it did all feed back into um, a positive experience for us. And I think roundabout now, 10% of any 10% of the user base who have ever bought Monument Valley on iOS have upgraded to Forgotten Shores already, which is crazy. It's, it's, so basically, I know I realize this. Sometimes I state I say statistics like I expect everyone to work in games. <laughs> it's really bad. So I was hoping that before the end of the year, five percent of Monument Valley players will have upgraded to Forgotten Shores. That that's kind of expected. Um, so 10% is really good. Uh, that's including people who bought the game, didn't really like it. People who bought the game, uninstalled it, and have never heard of Forgotten Shores. People who want to buy it but haven't got around to it yet, I don't have the money. Like, we've done 10% of those people already, and that's, you know, that's, that's crazy. A lot of that came on day one. Day one was insane. Um, so even though the story, we keep getting sent messages. Me and Mills have both been sent personal messages by friends and family saying, are you guys okay? I keep seeing all the talk of how people keep giving you one-star reviews online. And we're like, we're fine. It's really not bad. Because, because it's an interesting story and because it's interesting for press to write about and it starts this whole conversation over player expectation and value, it then gets propagated further and further and further out until it's bigger news than the actual game is. Um, but it's all fine. It's all good. The game's doing really, really well. Uh, the people who have bought it really, really love it. 
and we should be getting it out to more users on Android super, super soon. Is with where you currently stand and you're thinking, having you know just shipped this, uh, is this the last we're going to hear of Ida's story? Ooh, I can say that there will be there will be more news soon. There will be more news soon. Um, but as well as that, as soon as this one piece of news is out, I can say that as of right now we're not making any more Monument Valley chapters. What's, what's there is there. Uh, you, can, you can read between those lines quite nicely, I think. We'll, we'll see. Um, yeah, yeah uh, we will see. But right now, we're not working on Monument Valley chapters. Um, we will not be doing for the foreseeable future. We're actually, I'm hoping that I can post a video to uh, our Twitter account again of... I mean, if, if, if anyone has ever seen any pictures of our studio, we surround ourselves with Monument Valley stuff. We absorb ourselves with it whilst we work in it. And a number of our walls have uh, screenshots from the game. So one of the walls on one side has every single screen from Monument Valley all lined up in order. Every single chunk from every single chapter gets put up there. And that happens all the way through development. We manage to adjust color schemes and level order and it's how we arrange things and look at the game, you know, holistically together. And this, we did the same thing for Forgotten Shores. We put all the screenshots from the game up on there and we discussed them as a team. This week, we're tearing all that down. Everything that's on these walls is coming down. Not everything Monument Valley related. We've got some really cool gifts that people have sent us. Um, but those two walls of levels, straight down. Concept art coming straight down. Um, I, people are going to feel really funny about that. I guess you can look at it two ways. I always look at it like, like when you read um, the uh, greatest football manager that ever lived, Sir Alex Ferguson, when you read his methodology for creating champions, he always says that when they win something, they're allowed to celebrate that night. And then the next morning it is come into training and none of it matters anymore. Everything that you did that's great. Let's move on. And it enables you to not be consumed with your own ego or your own hype. Um, we get to just come up with new stuff. And that's the same principle that, that we're going to be doing here. Um, we're still going to support Monument Valley in terms of making sure it's cool and hopefully bringing it to other platforms. Um, but apart from that, we're not going to be making any Monument Valley chapters for the foreseeable future. I want to give you guys something new. Something that you don't even know you want yet. You didn't know you wanted Monument Valley, you know, a year ago. Um, hopefully we can do that again next year. That's, that's the plan anyway. I don't think I could find a better place to finish than that. Mr. Gray, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today. Where can people uh, find out about what you are up to and what you guys are us two are up to as well? So I've mentioned it quite a bit. Our Twitter handle is at us2games, so U-S-T-W-O-G-A-M-E-S. And there's also monumentvalleygame.com and Monument Valley on Facebook as well. Any of those things we attend to regularly. 
If you'd like to find the links to those to all of that, you can go to relay.fm slash inquisitive slash 14, where you'll find all the links. Um, thanks again to our show sponsors for this week's episode. That is Linda, Harry's, and Campaign Monitor. I am iMike on Twitter at I-M-Y-K-E, and I'll be back next week with another episode of Inquisitive. Until then, bye-bye.